Let me see your dick. He's, 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 <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Might need to lose a few pounds on your dick. <laughs> Jesus. It looks kind of swollen. <laughs> your dick gets stung by a bee. <laughs> wow, Bird has a the hornet's nest. Bird has, has a wide penis. <laughs> what was that I was looking at? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> You're going to have to get that thing on a, a treadmill. <laughs> For you, Bert. Something like that. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Opie Radio Podcast. It's very early in the morning. The sun's not even up yet. Uh, I got a fresh cup of coffee that I just started. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. I'm going to go to the windowsill. I'm going to check out the sunrise and possibly uh, do some live streaming and take some questions from you guys. Uh, and sadly, I think this is the last day that we're going to be in New York City. We have made the decision to flee New York City because of the coronavirus. Um, the reason, well, cause New York city's really not taking this thing too seriously. The bars and restaurants over the weekend were packed. People are, you know, going about their lives and drinking and partying and eating. Um, they just think they're going to be just fine if they get this coronavirus. That's good if you're young, but the problem is, you know, they're going to be carriers and they're going to give it to people that are going to have uh, major problems if, uh, if they catch this coronavirus thing. So we've decided we're out. I think we're leaving later today, and I don't even know when we're going to be back uh, to New York City. The other thing is that Mayor de Blasio, he's uh, decided not to close the public schools as I record this. He has decided to keep them open. The reason is because it's very problematic. I think there's like 100,000 homeless kids in New York City that really, really need a good warm meal every day and a place to feel safe. And for a lot of these kids, it's it's the public school system. So he's decided to keep the schools open, but the teachers are losing their minds. Uh, I think eventually they will close the schools, but I think they need to close them like immediately. I mean, we really got to do that social distancing. We got to stay out of uh, public spaces and we just got to hang out at home with our families, unfortunately. And wait this out and and see what happens as uh, the weeks go on here. So, but we've said, you know what, kids don't have school for the next two weeks. Uh, their schools have already said that when they get back from spring break, it's going to be online learning. So there's no reason to be here. 
We are packing and we're getting the hell out of here. All right, enough of that. I talk about the coronavirus, by the way, almost every day on my YouTube channel as we live stream. So hopefully you, uh, you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. Let's get into some fun stuff, though, okay? My buddy Chris Stefano, he called me over the weekend. He said, uh, Ope, actually, it was, it was uh, uh, late last week, I guess. He said, Ope, I was at the Comedy Cellar for Comedy Central's show this week at the Comedy Cellar, and I was talking to Colin Quinn, and I told the edible story, the famous edible story, and Comedy Central is going to reach out to you. They want your permission because I basically said that you gave me the edibles. I'll, uh, I'll fill in some blanks, but here's Chrissy D with Colin Quinn. Girl Scouts of America are threatening to sue some edible company for stealing their flavor. They didn't have edibles when I used to get high. Really? So what did you used to get high on? I mean, they did have pot brownies back then. Right. You could, if you put it in some other cookie, people go, what's your fucking problem? You bake it in a brownie. I don't know why. You ever that smoke angel dust? Yeah. Really? You're fucking old school. In the 70s, you I do did. quaaludes? Oh, all the time. But angel dust, literally, <laughs> I was on the corner of my block one time, smoked angel. I had to go up the whole block like against a wall like this. <laughs> it took me an hour to walk a block. Totally paranoid. Have you done edibles? One time, I took edibles with Opie. From the o- <laughs> with Opie from the Opie and Anthony show. It's a chocolate bar. You're supposed to take half of a half of the square. Opie doesn't tell me that. Just gives me a candy bar. I fucking the whole ate. thing? Dude, I ate the whole thing in one shot. Oh, my God. I ate the whole thing in one shot. Then we go to the Islanders game. 18,000 people. First period buzzer goes off. I thought somebody threw a spear from the top of the arena and cut off the left side of my body. I pop up out of the seat. I go, I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. I start walking up the stairs, limping, because I thought I was actively having a stroke. I go outside. I find a cop in fucking SWAT gear. I say, officer, I've ingested drugs. I'm having a stroke. He goes, you're not having a stroke. He goes, what kind of drugs did you take, son? I said, I don't want to tell you. He goes, you need to tell me now what kind of drugs you took. I said, I took an edible. He starts laughing so hard. I thought he was going to shoot the gun in the air. I thought he was going to start firing his weapon into the air. I get in a cab. I, I go home. I live on 90th Street. I get out at 60th Street because the fucking numbers were reversed in my head. It's January. It's freezing. I walk 30 blocks. I take my jacket off for no reason, throw it in a garbage can. I, I get back. To 90th Street, uh, my shirt on, I'm freezing, get into the shower, I still got my shoes and socks on. So how wild is that? I get butt naked, take my shoes and socks off, put them back on to get in the shower. That's how high I was. Fucking fall asleep, wake up, never take it again. That's great. Yeah. And you probably don't even do that in your act, do you stupid? No, I'm a fucking dumb. You're a dumb no, I just You're a hack. I'm a hack. You gotta put that in your act. I know, I'm a dumb it's fuck. Hilarious. Check out my Comedy Central special. It's all about my Puerto Rican daughter. <laughs> there you have it. Chris Stefano uh, this week at the Comedy Cellar with Colin Quinn telling the Edibles uh, story on Comedy Central. Uh, I want to fill in just a few blanks. So we were doing radio, and before Chris came in, he goes, oh, let's go to the Islanders-Rangers game at the Barclays. And I'm like, hell yeah. He's like, I got us set up. They got us great seat. I'm, seats. I'm uh, really in with the Islanders. And uh, they're going to put me on the Jumbotron between the first and second period. And then you, my man, they're going to put you on the Jumbotron between the second and third period. I'm like, hell yeah. We have a great radio show. Sherrod happens to be there. And, you know, he's handing out some candy bars because I asked about some of those uh, candy bars. And uh, Chris goes, what's that? And it, was like a, it, it was like a Hershey's uh, bar. And I go, that's edibles, man. He goes, I've never 
gotten high. I'm like, all right, well, you want some? We could take a little, you know, a little bit before we uh, head down to the subway and head to Brooklyn for the Islanders Rangers game. He's like, hell yeah, let's do it. So me and Sherrod are sitting there and we're carefully like uh, taking a little square each because I don't I don't want to be too, you know, effed up at the uh, the hockey game. And we hand it to Chris and I'm assuming he, he he knows what he's doing. Next thing you know, he ate like, I don't even know, but he ate way more than one square. It was probably like a third of the whole candy bar. And all of a sudden, I, I look at him and Sherrod looks at him and we're like, oh, that's not good. And Chris is like, what, what? I'm like, oh, no problem. Let's go. So then we head down to the subway and we head to the Barclays. The first indication that there was a major problem was when me and him were on the subway and we're, we're talking and everything's fine. And I'm starting to feel a little, little, a uh, little high, let's say. And I'm looking at him and I could tell he's not quite right. Uh, and anyway, we missed our stop for the Barclays and we were way way past somewhere in Brooklyn when we realized, oh my God, we missed our stop. And uh, we should have known because everybody that was wearing Islanders and Rangers jerseys on the subway, they were now long gone. So we didn't notice the herd of people getting off the subway for the game in their jerseys. So then we (laughs) get off the subway, go uh, up and around to the uh, other platform so we could head back toward the Barclays. It turns out we missed uh, our stop by 15 or 20 minutes. We get to the uh, Barclays. Now we're feeling pretty good. We're feeling like, you know, we're a bit buzzed. And we got seats right on the ice, right in the corner. Beautiful. We're happy. We get a beer each and we're we're just cheer, cheering each other and, and watching the Islanders. And then the, the Islanders uh, people come down and like, all right, are you ready for the Jumbotron, Chris Stefano? And Chris is like, yeah, man, I can't wait. And they're like, okay. So the end of the first period, they come down with a whole camera crew. They show some highlights of Chris's comedy and people are laughing. And then they go live to me and Chris sitting in the seats. All of a sudden, Chris just starts babbling. The only thing I remember is he's going, fuck the Rangers, fuck the Rangers, really, really loud, and the place starts laughing hysterically because they're like, what is wrong with this guy? It's supposed to be just a nice little, hey, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I love the Islanders. But instead, he's like, fuck the Rangers, right? So then (laughs) that ends, and they're like, "Uh, great job. And then uh, Chris was supposed to talk to them for a longer interview um, out out in the concourse for like the website or I don't know, some kind of podcast or something they were doing. And uh, Chris is like, yeah, I'll meet you. And they, they had a place where Chris had to meet. So I go to Chris, let's go get a beer, man. So all of a sudden, we're walking to go get a beer, and we run into Jim Serpico. And he's like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? I'm like, hey, Jim, we're going to get a beer. And he goes, all right, I'll go with you guys. So now we're waiting online to get a beer. And uh, Chris Stefano all of a sudden, just starts taking off. He just starts running. I'm like, what the hell is going on, Chris? He goes, Someone just hit me with a spear. Someone hit me with a spear. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm getting a little freaked out because I'm also on the edible. So partly I'm laughing because I'm like, that is ridiculous. But then because I'm a bit high also, I'm thinking, wait, did did he just get attacked by a spear? (laughs) So then I grab him and he's like, dude, I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. Look at my face. And I'm like trying to I'm, I'm staring at his face and it, it's starting to look a little weird to me because i'm definitely high as well but not as high as he is because he took way more than us 
and it looked like he was sweating on only half of his face and he's like I, my whole left side of my body i can't feel it i'm having a stroke and i'm like no you're not man let's calm down let's start walking so then we start walking around the concourse and we're getting recognized by everybody which is making both of us really really paranoid as they're saying hey chris love you and hey oh what's up and you know whatever so all of a sudden we're walking and the Islanders catch up to us like, hey, Chris, what about that interview? And Chris is like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they turn on a mic. I don't really know what it was for, but uh, they start interviewing about hockey and the Islanders. And Chris is hanging in there for the first 30 or 45 seconds. Next thing you know, he just takes off running in the middle of this interview. So I have to uh, take off and, and run after him again. And I, I look behind me, and they're really confused. Like, what the hell was that? They weren't sure if he was trying to do a bid or something. But they were like, all right, well, I guess, you know, I guess that's uh, not going to happen, whatever. So then I'm walking with Chris, and uh, he's like, dude, we got to get out of here. I'm like, what do you mean we got to get out of here? It's the Islanders Rangers, man. I'm going on the Jumbotron between the second and third period. It was a really good game also. I'm like, can't you hang in there? He's like, I don't know, man. He goes, you could stay if you want. I'm like, no, let's just let's just walk and try to calm down. And we're walking and we're trying to calm down and more people are recognizing us and people are coming up. They want to take our picture and stuff and get selfies. And all of a sudden, you know, we're going through that whole process, but we're still walking. And Chris sees an exit sign to his left. Next thing you know, he takes off again and just runs out of the Barclays. And I remember a security guard was like, hey, 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 no reentry. You leave. You got to stay out. And he goes, no problem, or whatever, and, and runs through the door. And now I have to make that decision. I'm like, oh, man, Islanders, Rangers, man. Oh. So I follow uh, Chris out. And next thing you know, we're outside the Barclays. The action's inside. Islanders, Rangers. There's not a soul outside. Not one soul, except for a couple of police officer, officers here and there. And also, I'm like, what the fuck? You all right, Chris? And he goes, I, 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 I don't know. And then he just runs off for the last time. And I'm just standing there looking at the Barclays going, what the hell just happened? And then I uh, I took the long subway uh, ride home uh, back to Manhattan. And, uh, and Chris went home. And like he told Colin Quinn, he took all his clothes off, but put his socks and shoes back on and went into the shower to uh, try to calm down. And then for the next, uh, I don't know, couple days, me and Sherrod, we were getting uh, incredible, crazy text messages from Chris Stefano, asking if we're still high. Are you guys okay? Uh, I'm trying to find the text messages. Hold on a second. Give me, give me one second to find these text messages. All right, here we go. I got it. Uh, February 16th. 2017, Chris Stefano. hey bud, confirming you're going to go to the Islanders tonight with me. I go, fuck yeah, looking forward to it. And then he writes, yeah. And then Chris goes, you cool with Jumbotron tonight? They ask me. I go, yes, can we kiss? Chris goes, duh. And I write, yay. And he wrote, duh, again. So then uh, fast forward, uh, let's see. Fast forward, we go to the game. It's the next day. Uh, Chris writes, are your eyes bloodshot? I wrote, yeah. He goes, okay, call me, man. You okay? That's Chris. And I don't write him back an hour later. He goes, you okay, man? And I don't write him again. I don't know where I was, but I didn't write him. Next thing you know, he writes, 
bro, I'm so sorry about last night. Oh, I know why. Because I, I went to bed when he was going, okay, call me, man. You okay? You okay, man? Call me. Call me. Where are you? Call me. And I never, uh, I never wrote him back because I guess I was, you know, uh, pretty effed up and, and crashed. So then the next day he writes, bro, I'm so sorry about last night. I freaked the fuck out. I write, don't worry about it at all. I felt bad. I couldn't calm you down. I, I know you'll be okay. And he writes, thanks, man. Wow. Uh, he goes, you have that video from last night? Dropbox it. I videotaped him while he was on the Jumbotron. Uh, he writes, bro, I'm on my way back to my car now. I couldn't drive, man. Did you get high? And I write, I'm in a meeting. <laughs> he wrote, he writes, oh, okay, wild. I'm still high, I think. High, I think. I go, I'll call you in an hour, man. You'll be fine. He writes, okay, cool. Thanks, man. I'll call you in a bit, he writes. Uh, I'm with my dad. Can't talk about it in front of him, LOL. Uh, Chris writes, just called you back. My bad, man. And then uh, he writes, LOL. Uh, he goes, I think I said, fuck the Rangers on the Jumbotron last night. And I wrote, no shit, you did. And then Chris is like, man, I wonder if I'm in trouble with the team now. And I go, nah. And then uh, he goes, uh, how you feeling, man? How you feeling? I wrote, I'm a bit sluggish, you know? He goes, me too, man. I go, still had fun, though. Uh, Chris writes, yeah, I got to prepare myself for next time. <laughs> and I go, yeah, maybe we shouldn't go to a game. He goes, LOL, yup. You still feel a little high, man? This is like all weekend long. He just kept asking me if I was still high. And I wanted to humor him because I knew he was paranoid. So I go, sort of. He goes, okay, me too. And then I write, you'll be fine in a few hours. Take a nap. He goes, uh, got to go into auditions at two with Shaz Palmateri. <laughs> and then Chris goes, bro, nobody clapped for me when I was on the Jumbotron. I bombed. LOL. Wow. And I wrote, you didn't bomb, man. You said, fuck the Rangers. They were in shock. And then he goes, nah, man, nobody clapped. I was there. It's all fun, though. And then he writes, I'm sorry we had to leave, man. I wanted to film you on the screen, too. That You know, when I was supposed to be on the Jumbotron between the second and third periods, Chris. Uh, and then Chris writes, thanks for being cool, man. I generally think that may have been the first time I've ever gotten high. And I go, wow, we'll do it again then. And he goes, yeah, man. For some reason, the arena fucked me up. <laughs> it fucked him up to the point he just started running around the concourse and then ran out of there. Oh, that was the best. And I want to thank Comedy Central uh, this week at the Comedy Cellar. It's a it's a great, great show. And uh, there's a lot of guys that you know and love from the Opie and Anthony days and from my podcast. So make sure you check it out on Comedy Central. Okay? Do, 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 do. All right. We should continue because uh, not only did we get a mention on Comedy Central... Uh, recently I got a mention on Burt Kreischer's podcast. He had Jason Biggs on, you know, the dude from American Pie and many, many other things. And they were talking about the time, uh, Jason Biggs was on Broadway and, uh, the graduate was interrupted because someone stood up in the audience and yelled, put your goddamn clothes back on. Uh, and it's really interesting to hear Jason Biggs angle on this whole thing which i'm going to play in a couple of minutes here but the setup is really really easy so me and anthony we're doing our show from wnaw back in the day we have a pretty successful radio show at this point and we get word that uh, kathleen turner is on broadway in the graduate 
And uh, we found out that she was getting naked every night. And me and Anthony were like, oh, my God, who the hell wants to see that? I mean, maybe if it was like the time of Romance in the Stone, then maybe you would like to see Kathleen Turner naked. But now we're talking many, 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 many years later, and we're thinking there's no fucking way anybody wants to see that. My God, it's got to be a shock to the audience. So me and Anthony are talking one day, and we're like, how cool would it be if we could get somebody in the audience and as Kathleen Turner is naked on the stage in The Graduate, we would have someone stand up and just scream out, Kathleen, put your goddamn clothes back on. And we thought it would be so funny if someone would do that. But honestly, we're thinking, who the hell has the balls to do this? Turns out, Paul Mercurio, very funny comic, uh, he decided, I'll do it for you guys. So he goes to the theater. He's sitting there patiently watching The Graduate with Kathleen Turner and also uh, Jason Biggs. And Kathleen Turner gets naked for that performance. And Paul Mercurio stood up. You want to talk about having balls and screams out, Hey, Kathleen, put your goddamn clothes back on. Me and Anthony got headlines once again. It was absolutely insane. So that's the setup. Uh, I want to go to Burke Kreischer's podcast. This was a couple weeks ago. He had Jason Biggs on. And I never heard uh, Jason Biggs' angle on this story. So check it out. Um, so wait, so, Opie and Anthony. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm doing The Graduate on Broadway in mm -hmm. 2002. And Opie and Anthony was kind of, it was kind of peak Opie and Anthony. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we are doing the show. And it was a night performance. And there's a scene. So it was Kathleen Turner, Alicia Silverstone, uh, and myself. We were sort of the, you know, it was Mrs. Robinson and uh, Anne. Who the, what was the other character? What was Alicia, you know, the younger, I don't know. Anyway, uh, and myself. And um, Kathleen got naked every night on stage, you know, to her credit. God bless her. Every night she would. Just drop trowel, drop Somebody, it I, I don't know what it looks like, but I, regardless, I'd pay to see it. People paid to see it, you yeah. know. <laughs> and um, and uh, I mean, it's actually a, it's like a horrible story, really. But um, no good. This is. <laughs> I mean, by, by the way, there's never been a happy Opie and Anthony yeah, story. No, including the story of Opie and Anthony. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. So all of a sudden, you know, it's theater and like, you know, everyone is quiet and watching and engaged. And what we would hear often when, because there were still people, even though half the audience paid, because you know, were there because they had heard that Kathleen got naked. The other half hadn't, didn't know. They were like, oh, the graduate, cool. Or they came to see Alicia or me or whatever it was. And um, so almost every performance, there'd be a few gasps, you know, yeah. like, oh, <gasps> You know, you'd hear Ooh. you'd hear that sometimes. That came to be expected. This one night, she drops her clothes, and I'm I'm the only one on stage with her. It's me and her, and she drops her clothes, and I immediately turn downstage, like to look out at the audience, you know, like look away from her, and she's upstage of me, completely naked, facing the audience, and she drops her clothes, and it's like silent, and I have the next line, and. Before I had a chance to get my line out, you just hear from the back of the theater so loud, screaming, hey, Kathleen, put your goddamn clothes back on. <laughs> and it 
was, I still feel, I know that feeling for me, by the way, I can't imagine what it was like for Kathleen. It was so jarring and so shocking that like you literally, like we were the ones, like I gasped. I was like, uh, I, I didn't know, you just kind of fucking freeze. Yeah. It was so crazy. And I, then I was just like, I have a line, I have a line, I have a line. And I like, I got the line out and then we just fucking carried on. And the scene was, and then it, the first act ends like a scene later. And then all of us are backstage like, oh my God, what happened? And Kathleen kind of went to her dressing room and retreated. And we're like, is she okay? And, da, 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 and all this stuff. They're like, did you find the guy? We escorted him out. Yeah, the whole thing, security got him. Turns out it was a guy doing it for Opie and Anthony. I don't know if it was an employee of Opie and Anthony, or I think Who they might've done, did a contest. Like, you know, hey, if someone wants to, you know, yeah. go, I'll give you some dough if you uh, go and, you know. And um, it was gnarly, dude. That was my yeah. kind of introduction to Opie and Anthony. Did you ever do Opie and Anthony? I did not. No, not because I not because <laughs> no, I was no, like no, fuck no. you. I just never. Opie and did. Anthony Opie was. I, I, it's one of those things. It's like uh, if you were if you were a fan of the show, I was a fan of the show. There were parts where you just would cringe, be like, yeah. "Ugh, it's so much Too better much. when you guys are well." Like, I I, didn't, I think every single one of them would admit it, but there were like times where you you'd be like like Anthony or Opie threw dominoes at someone. Like there were times, but then then there were times when they were all sitting with comics, and it was just fucking genius. Yeah, like the back and forth. Was, but you know, but I mean, obviously they got kicked off of fucking air for having anal sex at St. Pat's. Yeah, or St. Catherine's, whatever. But uh, yeah, I was never a fan of that. I was never a fan of that kind of shit. Like with it, whenever this is going to sound really narcissistic, I'm sure. But whenever they'd fuck with reporters, I had a, a TV show on Travel Channel at the time, and I was always trying to interview people man on the street mm. and i always had people doing that to me bro i almost lost my shit a thousand fucking times so every time when someone would go like oh and a party rocks i'd always be like god damn it you have no idea what you just did to a guy who's trying to get through a fucking like day interview. of work yeah all right and then they uh they move on to other stuff so uh that's from burke kreischer's podcast with jason biggs I, I, it's so interesting to hear his side of that famous uh, time when Paul Mercurio stood up and yelled, Kathleen, put your goddamn clothes back on. Uh, there's a lot to digest there. So uh, first of all, I didn't realize it was 2002 because uh, a lot of time has gone by. By 2002, the Opie and Anthony show was completely out of control. We were huge. We were number one in all the mail demos up and down the entire East Coast and then in other cities across the country. We think... We're uh, untouchable. We could do whatever the hell we wanted. Our audience really wanted that shock jock stuff. We felt like we had to deliver that. We felt like we were on a, a runaway train and we had no choice in the matter. Um, I'm thinking after the Kathleen put your goddamn clothes back on, we were fired probably only a few months later uh, because we went, went up to Buffalo and we did this TNA with O&A thing, which I could uh, talk about at the windowsill when I grab my cup of coffee. And then after that, we did the Sex for Sand, which finally got me and Anthony uh, fired. But here's the deal, and I don't think Burt Kreischer is actually uh, that wrong. When we were sitting around with comics, yeah, that was some of the best radio that we ever, ever did. But you got to remember, when me and Anthony made our way to New York, no one knew Opie and Anthony. I mean, that just sounded stupid. Even even uh, when you were in your car and you turned on the radio, you're like, Opie and Anthony, what the hell is this? You know, we didn't have any name recognition or anything. And we were at a legendary uh, radio station and we had to make our mark and we knew we were funny enough and we knew we had the chemistry 
But none of that matters because you you need people to be, you know, to tune in uh, the radio show. So the philosophy that I had back then was, all right, and we got to do the shock jock stuff to get people talking uh, and then they will listen to the show and see that we're actually funny and thought provoking and then we got chemistry and we got so much more going on than just the shock jock stuff. So that's where the philosophy came from. It's like, do some shock jock stuff. They're going to go to their friends or their coworkers and they're going to go, you got to hear this new uh, radio show called Opie and Anthony. They're insane. And then, you know, they would talk about some crazy stuff and that would get people interested and then they would tune in uh, the show and then we would hit them with the, you know, the, the comedy and everything else. That was our that was uh, our philosophy. The problem was, as we were doing that shock jock stuff, the audience also was really into that. And they were really into like, all right, what are they going to do next? And then I always felt like we always had to top it. And we kept going and going until the point, you know, a couple uh, allegedly had sex in the vestibule of uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And that was our careers, basically. And I don't think we ever, you know, made it to that uh, point in our careers again, even though we had a great run at, um, you know, Sirius XM, obviously. So I don't think Bert is uh, actually that wrong, but uh, there's a little behind the scenes of why we were doing the shock jock stuff. And that was basically to just get people listening to the show. And then, you know, and then they would get, you know, hopefully hooked on uh, on the other stuff. One other thing about the Kathleen Turner thing, and I've talked about this over the years. So that's 2002. Fast forward around 2000, I got to think now, maybe five, maybe 2006, I move into a building in New York City with my now wife. And one day I get on the elevator and, uh, you know, the elevator stops one floor uh, below me. And all of a sudden, Kathleen Turner walks onto the elevator and I look at my wife she was my girlfriend at the time, and I, 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 it was like I saw a ghost. I went, I went white. And I'm like, oh, hi. And, you know, we introduced ourselves, and we're like, oh, we live uh, right above you. And she goes, oh, I, yeah, I, I hear you guys walking around and this and that, you know. All of a sudden, you know, it was small talk, and uh, she leaves. And I'm like, okay, I don't think she recognizes me. She has no idea who I am. So that went on. For probably, I want to say, <laughs> I want to say at least six, seven years. Fast forward, me and my wife have two kids. We're in the elevator with Kathleen Turner. She couldn't be nicer. She would talk to me and my wife and my kids. Oh, they're so cute and adorable. What's their names? How old are they? And every time I got on the elevator with her, I would panic because I would I would be praying that she didn't know, uh, you know, that it was me that was behind the famous put your goddamn clothes back on with uh, Anthony back in the day. Uh, so there was anxiety every time I got in the elevator. Then we're doing construction and should we get on the elevator? I'm like, ah, how's the construction going? And long story short, there's not much to this. But uh, the fact is she was really, really nice. And she always gave us the time, and we always had that small talk in the elevators and outside the building. And there were times I would help her with her groceries and open doors for her and everything. And the whole time, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Any moment, any moment, she's going to know it's me. Any moment, she's going to know it's me. 
you know how you have those dreams where you're just in a, in a impossible situation and you're panicked that you're going to be that everything is going to go bad and you're hiding from the police and you're hiding from this person and it's and it's an anxiety uh, uh, riddled dream. Well, that's how I lived with Kathleen Turner in my building. Uh, happy ending though. She, uh, I think about a year ago, maybe two years ago, she moved out of the building. She moved uh, way downtown. And I finally was able to breathe a sigh of relief that we went all those years without her knowing who she was actually talking to in those elevator rides. So there you have it. I want to thank uh, Bert Kreischer, by the way, for uh, talking about that famous incident from back in the day. All right. Coffee's uh, done. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. I'm going to turn on my live stream. I'm going to watch the sun rise. And uh, I want to talk about uh, TNA with ONA and a couple other things to finish up this podcast. So a little time jump here and we'll continue. Uh, hey, there we go. Everyone's rushing into the room. What's up, Frank and Dave and RJ? And it uh, looks like uh, Robert is in here. The bunker from Scotland. Damn, what's up, man? What's up, Nicholas? What's up, Drew? Uh, Batboy999, what's going on? Uh, Frank, uh, enjoying some wakey bakey. I was never able to do that wake and bake. I tried it, but then you kind of feel sluggish the rest of the morning, I think. No? Uh, Zachary Moore, do you ever reminisce sorry, over the Frenchman you pummeled on the bottom of the ocean? I don't know if I pummeled him, but I certainly fought um, another diver who happened to be a French guy. I, I did have a fight with him underwater. That's a very true story. Quickly, for the, for the new fans, because what I'm finding out with this podcast, they got like a lot of new fans that... Heard of ONA, but didn't really listen to ONA, or they were too young. Uh, and then some of these people that have been turned on to the podcast are going back and uh, checking out some old ONA, which I think is kind of cool. Story goes really fast. I was in Turks and Caicos, getting into diving. Um, Turks and Caicos, Club Med, you have to take the dive boat out. Man, I think close to an hour to get to the reef. So you really feel like you're in the middle of the ocean when you're, when you're diving. And I'm nervous as hell, and I'm listening to the instructors getting ready for my dive. And here's this uh, Frenchman who's not paying attention at all. He's just, like, like just loving uh, the ocean and the boat ride and the sun. And he's flirting with everybody on the boat because it's Club Med. And he's thinking this is an opportunity to start, you know, maybe picking up women. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're in the middle of the ocean, and we're going to be, like, I think, I think that dive was about... You know, because it was a resort course, you can't go. You can't go much more than like 50, 60 feet down. But I was still really nervous, and so I was paying attention to all the instructions. And this guy wasn't. So it just turned out that I was one of the first one guys in. And they said, when you get to the bottom, just chill out and wait for the instructor and wait for everybody else. Although I think there was an instructor down there. I think there was two. I'm looking up, watching every, my fellow divers come down, and you're supposed to. You know, go down nice and slow and smooth and easy. And here comes the Frenchman. Like he's dropping like a rock, like a cinder block. And who does he land on? Me. 
And I was already annoyed that he wasn't paying attention on the boat. So, and you know, I don't think my intentions were was to start a fight underwater. So I believe how it went was I, I just wanted to push him away. Like, get away from me, man, you know? And then he kind of pushed me back, and then it was on. And then I punched him, <laughs> and he tried to punch me. And then the best is you can't really fight underwater. That's the beauty of it because, you know, your, your punch is like like a feather because you can't really get momentum but I was still pissed off and then we were kind of rolling around a little bit and then I remember the uh, the dive instructor was really confused uh, I think he was thinking to himself there's no fucking way these guys are fighting uh, <laughs> and he came over to us and just kind of separated us like yeah they probably just got tangled you know and then for the rest of the dive, we were kind of giving each other little taps and shots and bumping into each other. And then the weird thing is, I'm like thinking the whole time, like, man, as soon as we get up uh, back up on the boat, you know, we're going to have a real fight. I don't have a great end to the story. Basically, we got back on the boat and just gave each other evil eyes uh, the whole way back to Club Med. There you have it. Yeah, people called it Underwater Fight Club. I really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. How much legal trouble did TNA and Buffalo get you all in into? That's a great question, Batboy999. Me and Anthony did a bit called TNA, um, and it was up in Buffalo. We had an affiliate up there that absolutely loved the Opie and Anthony show, and they begged us to come to town to do some kind of uh, appearance. So we came up with this whole thing where, you know, girls, strippers, would play volleyball on the beach. This is unbelievable that I'm even saying this because, I mean, you can't get a company to agree to this, you know, nowadays. I said, look, you know, get some strippers. We'll uh, we'll hang. We'll drink beers. They'll play volleyball. You know, the fans will have something really good to look at, and we'll and we'll kind of um, entertain the crowd. That was that was uh, our intentions. And uh, the first thing, which was amazing, they picked us up in a limousine and they drove us to, uh, what was it? What was it, guys? Mickey Rats on the water, I think. And I remember as we're heading to Mickey Rats on the water that there was a major traffic jam. And we're thinking, we're always thinking like, what the hell is this, man? God, we, you know, people are going to be bummed that we're stuck in traffic, not knowing or not thinking that the traffic was for us. We get to Mickey Rats. The place is mobbed. There's at least a thousand people there. It's hard to tell because it was just it, it just took over the whole beach, the whole bar. People in their boats were like um, anchored just offshore so they could check out the fe- the festivities. They had their local radio guy doing a radio show from there, so we would jump on the radio with the guy, and then we would like uh, mostly do stuff through a PA to just the crowd. Because, you know, it was, it, was, it was truly shock jock stuff. I mean, next thing you know, uh, the strippers are like bored with volleyball, so they all take their tops off. Then uh, we got girls are, that are basically uh, putting things in places in front of everybody, and there's families there, and, and uh, it got completely out of control. And then next thing you know, um, the strippers were having lesbian sex with each other in the sand. And you know how difficult it is to do anything in the sand like that? But they didn't care. They were all in. And they were really into the crowd, um, cheering them on. It was, it was crazy. We get back to New York, and quickly, the lawyers are all about it. 
And uh, we get word that um, Buffalo is really pissed, like the authorities up there, and they wanted to arrest me and Anthony. This is a true story. And we're like, oh, my God, you know. And we were, we were getting really nervous, and uh, they were doing stories about it up there in Buffalo. And the company didn't know what to do with us. And what happened was, which is really interesting, it was starting to look like we were going to be reprimanded for the TNA in Buffalo thing. And then we did a little stunt right after that, not too long after that, called Sex for Sam. And uh, that was where we had the couples having sex all over New York City. That was the one that blew up with the couple having supposedly sex at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral in the vestibule. And that obviously got us fired. So then the Buffalo thing went away because Buffalo was like, okay, the situation took care of itself. But uh, true story that it was getting really scary and ugly as far as the whole Buffalo thing went. But in the end, we got fired for the sex for Sam. We were just a... We were just a runaway train. It was it was just insane, man. Absolutely insane. I don't really regret it, but I just think of the possibilities if we never got fired for the sex for Sam because we were truly on a rocket ship and we were nipping at, uh, you know, Howie's heels. And then the career, you know, the career did okay after that. Someone brought up um, the time Sarah Jessica Parker called us on our shit because I think she was hosting the MTV either movie or music awards and we we thought she looked ridiculous and uh so we went on the radio and just beat the crap out of her just made fun of her said she looks like Ruth Buzzy in a dress um and we just had a you know it was just a typical day on the Opie and Anthony show all of a sudden you know one of my producers comes running in and says Sarah Jessica Parker's on the phone and we took a lot of phone calls back then. I basically was like, all right, whatever. Which which asshole listener is going to make believe they're Sarah Jessica Parker and you know go for a little bit here? And uh, quickly we learned that it w- it really was Sarah Jessica Parker. We're like, oh my god! Turns out we had such a huge radio show that uh, the crew on on Sex in the City. They were listening to Opie and Anthony while Sarah Jessica Parker was getting her makeup done for the day. And she literally is listening to us trash her. I mean, what are the odds of that? So she called us on our shit. And we kind of folded. We had a little fun with it. And I remember starting to really, really like her. She said, I, I want you guys to put a voice to, to the person you're uh, making fun of or whatever. And then she invited us down to the set. And she wanted to meet us and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Um... And anyway, the the whole bit kind of faded away naturally because I remember we did get some contact info and uh, after her appearance, her phone call on the show, you know, she went back to her life and, uh, you know, we never we never went down to the set because they basically never got back to us because we tried. But uh, the point I want to make, so someone brings that up on the live stream the other day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, get that bid and put it on the podcast, and it's there if you want to check it out. And the one thing as I'm listening to this, I think to myself, I don't know those two guys. And the two guys would be Opie and Anthony. I'm listening to Anthony. I'm listening to myself, and I'm like, I don't really recognize that version of of myself anymore, and I don't recognize that version of Anthony anymore. And I was thinking it's like, you know, that clip is, I think, 20 years old. 
it just shows you how people change because I don't regret anything I did, but I, it was hard to listen to it because I was thinking, who is this guy? Kind of sounds like a, a, a douchebag. He sounds like a surfer dude. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I had a different little style on the radio back then. I don't know. And uh, and, and Anthony, uh, he seemed, uh, I don't know, he seemed uh, a lot less angry. Let's just put it that way. And I, I just didn't recognize either one of us. I'm not, I'm not taking shots at Anthony today anyway. And I'm trying not to take shots at Anthony in general uh, when I feel like I have to like stick up for myself, I, I certainly will. But, uh, but I also heard some amazing chemistry between me and him. Like God, that's why it worked. We were playing off each other, nice. Uh, but I don't know. It's a it's a surprise we lasted as long as we did because, like I said, with with time you get perspective. And listening to an old clip like that, you're like, wow, man, that that version of me is long gone. And that version of Anthony is long gone. And as we were changing over the years, we still made it work for a, a long time before the whole thing kind of just went bye-bye. So, but anyway, that's uh, ah, a little insight to that clip. I filmed my part for the Patrice O'Neill documentary yesterday. It was great going down, uh, going down memory lane. And uh, they brought up the whole Patrice laugh with the Bobo up and down game. Uh, so I think that's going to be on the documentary, which is cool. It's funny. They said, uh, could you explain Bobo and the up and down game? And I'm like, well, isn't this going to be on Comedy Central? I mean, how, how, how do I explain this? And they're like, it's Patrice O'Neill. Just let it, let it fly. And I'm like, all right, well, Bobo, uh, was a unique character on the Opie and Anthony show. And he, he was able to get hard instantly, and then he would get soft instantly, depending on what we were talking about. And they just let me, you know, explain it, describe it in uh, graphic details. So we'll see. But it was really fun to, to do my part for the documentary. And those, those bitches, those bitches got me to cry on camera. Fuck. And then I realized I was really going to lose it. And I was able to, like, suck it back in. <laughs> I would imagine, uh, you know, they're talking to everybody on this documentary. I would imagine that uh, I, I, there's no way I'm the only one that uh, had teary eyeballs, as my brother used to call it. My brother would look at uh, anyone in my family, you know, if we were watching something emotional on TV. We were just kids, too. He would, like, quickly... Start staring at your eyes and pointing and get really close to your face. And if he saw a hint of a, of a tear, he would just announce to the room. And, you know, I'm one of many kids, you know, teary eyeballs, teary eyeballs. And then, then everyone's attention's on you as you're, as you're fucking tearing up over some dumb Brady Bunch episode or something. <laughs> Christ. Uh, Patrice was right about Tracy Morgan as we go back down to the comments. What's that about, Bat Boy? He knew not to apologize to the offended. Yeah, you can't really apologize to the offended. Especially if you're going for a, a joke. If you're going for a laugh. You can't apologize for that ever. Ever. If your intention was to try to just make someone laugh and take the piss out of a topic. And then you uh, have people that are really offended and pissed off. You can't apologize for that stuff. That's the person's problem. That they don't understand comedy. And how it works. Ah, 
How's your Donkey Kong? All right, Jimmy. <laughs> Where were you last night? I was um, just laying on my couch. I was tired. I had a long day uh, filming the Patrice thing. That was a couple hours. And then I had to get my car, dude. I had to pick that up. You guys know how that goes. Oh, look. The oil, the oil light is on. It needs a service. And then you bring it in. And uh, you're thinking, ah, how much can this be? Next thing you know, I, I pick it up last night. That'll be $378. We had to do blah and blah and blah, 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 blah. Oh, God. Uh, should we just be quiet now and watch the, the last bit of the sun coming up? Oh, my God. Look at this. Oh, my. Oh, my. People have made fun of me over the years for enjoying um, especially sunsets. Uh, but, uh, it brings me back to my happy place. <laughs> Having, uh, an upbringing that was a bit, uh, chaotic at times. A lot of turmoil. Um, our happy place was my grandma's beach house in Wading River out there on Long Island. And at the end of the day, when we were there on the weekends, and we were there a lot, uh, to just be on the beach with my family and my uncles and my cousins and aunts, my grandma. We always made time to just chill out on the beach and watch that sun go down. It's one of those things where as the sun comes up, it's like living in the moment, man. It's all about living in the moment. And we all need to do more of that. I'm not going to be preachy, but geez. Boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo. <laughs> 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 <laughs>